Our story began with Margaret Anjou. The Yorks manipulated her son, Teddy, into handing over the family fortune. Feeling an immense sense of responsibility and guilt, the happy and jubilant Teddy Anjou took his own life. A period of instability within the York family saw two leaders, Edward and then Elizabeth, removed from the picture. That left the youngest sibling, Richie, in charge. Richie York was brilliant. All reports of her tell us that she excelled at whatever she put her mind to. This included manoeuvring herself into this position of power. The only things left in her way were Elizabeth and Edward's two sons, Dominic and Arthur. Through the courts, they passed into the hands of Richie, her self-motivated, utilitarian hands. This is the sixth and final episode of Rich. It's probably fair to assume that Dominic York was something of an accident. Elizabeth and Edward were love-struck and self-destructive teenagers, fueled with teenage lust. It was inevitable. Despite the unplanned nature of his birth, Dominic inadvertently caused a real family to be formed. The experience was so pleasant for them that the young Arthur followed a few years after. People have only said positive things about them as parents, speaking to their loving natures and willingness to do anything to provide for their children. When Edward and Elizabeth were later recruited into the York family, the children, of course, came as part of the deal. Everything that we have, from Anne's diary entries to Humphrey Buckingham's podcast, shows that the children were accepted and loved by the family. Dominic was said to be the spitting image of his father. Bold, determined, always up for a part to play. If the legends are true, he took part in his first scam at the age of three. Following his mother's instruction, he snatched a purse while his father distracted its owner. Arthur was a little more precocious. Possessing the guile of his mother and the bluntness of his father, he took a little bit more time to understand. Everyone knew that if you needed the truth on a matter, you took it to Arthur. Obviously, those matters could not be very complex, but the sentiment was widely shared. The one exception to this was Richie York. She always showed an active dislike of the children, which made her pursuit of custody more confusing. The judge who presided over the case failed to see any issues. There was a small scene outside a Yorkshire courthouse this afternoon as a ruling was finally made on a long-running York family custody case. 
The York family have had rumors swirling around them in recent months about their allegedly nefarious activities after Elizabeth York was arrested for murder. The two boys in question have been nicknamed the Princes by tabloids due to their mother's alleged position within the family. A judge controversially ruled today that Richie York, the aunt of the two young boys, has had her plea for custody accepted. It is unknown at this point how long it will take to move the boys out of foster care and into their new family, but, of course, we wish them the best of luck. Richie York, who you can see here leaving the courthouse, had no comment for reporters. The court files have been sealed by a judge. It is believed that Richie was the only person to apply for custody of the two young boys. It explains how, despite Elizabeth's public disavowal of her petition, it was still successful. Two weeks later, Dominic and Arthur moved back into the house that they had grown up in. This time, they were under the guardianship of Richie and Anne. Adjusting to this new dynamic must have been difficult. Unfortunately, they didn't have much time to settle in. As you may recall from a previous episode, not long after they were adopted, they were seen by the neighbours being bundled away in a car. And uh, how about you? Did you see Dominic and Arthur leave? No, but I heard about it from Susie who did. You know Susie, don't you? Well, anyway, she's always up and about in the middle of the night, Susie is. She said she looked out the window and saw saw this... Was it dark, a dark-haired woman crying? Well, she wanted to make sure that she was okay, so... You said, you said dark-haired woman? That were Anne. Oh, oh, was that Richie? Anne. Right. Well, I think that's kind of what I said, isn't it? Well, anyway, it doesn't matter, but Anne was crying her eyes out. And it was like the other one just wasn't making a fuss, wasn't even confident. Oh, wow. So, so Richie York was with her? Well, I'd imagine so, wouldn't you? I don't know. I, I didn't see her. Oh, me neither. But Susie said there were two people there, so I, I think that's what it was. Well, that's what made her know that the crying one was safe so that she could just go back to bed and have a snooze. Yeah, I think that's it. What what were they doing in the middle of the night? Well, she was tucking the kids in the back seat, you know, like when you make a bed in the back seat, you know, putting the seats down and laying out some blankets. Well, she was just doing that. And, you know, who can blame her? I mean, we know what they've been through, don't we? So me and you would do the same. What, What had they been going through? Well, those Lancaster knobs. I mean, there's only so much stuff you can take and then you think, that's it, I'm done with it. So I don't blame her at all. The rumour passed around the neighbouring houses and the one eventually picked up by news outlets was that the pressure from the Lancasters had made the family home unsafe. All of the witness reports agree on two details. The first is that the children were taken away in the middle of the night. The second, and the one that should have raised a red flag or two to the police, is that the children were wrapped in their duvets in the back of the car. Ostensibly, this was because they were already sound asleep. There is evidence that points to a more tragic outcome. Dominic and Arthur York were last seen alive on Friday, June 25th, 2010, being taken to school by Anne. The reports of them being bundled into the back of the car come at around 3am on Tuesday, June 29th, four days later. It wasn't until two weeks later, on July 12th, 2010, 
that the children's repeated absence was reported by their school and a policeman was sent to the house. It was discovered that the place had been abandoned. The only identifiable items missing were the children's bedsheets, pillows and duvets. With corroborating statements from neighbours, Anne was judged to have gone into hiding to protect the two boys and the case was left to go cold. A couple of feeble public pleas were put out by law enforcement, asking for confirmation from Anne that both she and the children were okay. Nothing was ever received. The police took this deafening silence as as justification for halting their investigations. Five years passed and the story of the York family faded into distant memory. What had been a national plea for any information about the fate of these two children, a plea that was plastered across every single newspaper in the country, became fodder for exploitative documentaries and tasteless jokes on panel shows. Completely unsolved. (sighs) The media sensation of The Princes eventually fell out of the zeitgeist completely. That is, until the recent episode of the TV show called Weirdest Unsolved Murders. The extension was intended to be the first part of creating the couple's dream home, but instead turned into a nightmare. During the construction of an innocuous set of stairs leading into the extension, builders discovered something unexpected. What originally appeared to be the slightly decomposed body of a feathered animal turned out to be the remains of a children's duvet. When the duvet was unwrapped, what they saw was unholy. Inside were a set of small human bones. Due to duplicates that were found, it became apparent that this find tragically represented the incomplete body of more than one small child. Bizarrely, mixed in with the find was also a scattering of animal bones. With the incomplete nature of the burial, officials were unable to discover the identity of the children. The lack of any matching missing persons reports in the area has left officials with an unsolvable case. The prevailing theory is that the location, which used to back onto a public park, was used by a member of the area's homeless population. The family respectfully returned the bones to the ground nearby, giving them a better view of the local area and hopefully returning them to peace. We reached out to the producers who created this show, offering to provide the funds to have these bones officially identified. We received the following statement in return. Quote, The skeletal remains were passed to local law enforcement at the time of recording. However, 
Their poor condition, combined with the inclusion of animal bones, led to inconclusive results. To maintain the privacy of the residents, we refuse your request for further information. Unquote. With this impediment, there is no way to get scientific evidence of who these bones belong to. Are they the bodies of the princes? There is one piece of anecdotal evidence that points towards these being the bones of little Dominic and Arthur. At the end of the last episode, we dropped the bombshell that Richie York, head of the notorious York family, was still alive. We revealed an email from Richie York's only known email address, addressed to Henry Lancaster. You might be asking yourself, how do we know that someone didn't hack into the email address and fake the email? <laughs> what a shrewd listener you are. Over the past six episodes, we've been methodically putting together the puzzle of what really happened 17 years ago. We've constructed a damning image of police negligence, unlawful incarceration, and shown the true face of a beloved family-friendly company. But the picture still wasn't complete. Two weeks ago, when our episode on Elizabeth York came out, we received a tip on the location of the woman who caused all of this. So, we took a little trip. We wanted to get her side of the story. And so, this is it. The culmination of everything that I've been working towards. It's time to fetch our missing puzzle piece. <sighs> you got the microphone on. Make sure, make sure it's turned on. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <sighs> Do you even know? How do we get in? I think there's a gap over there. I thought you'd been here already. No, I have. Calm down. I have. It's just through here. I'm gonna be fine. is perhaps my most undignified moment. We're currently squatting in someone's back garden. <laughs> Hopefully this is the correct garden because otherwise you're about to hear us get awkwardly chased away. <laughs> it's um, it's almost 10.30pm. It's pitch black out here. Luckily we haven't set off any automatic lights or anything so... From the outside, the house seems pretty normal, uh, very modest. The only thing that makes it stand out is the bloody enormous Catholic cross hanging on the wall here. Would have expected that to be upside down. <laughs> We've driven by a couple of times over the past few days, trying not to look <sighs> suspicious. Okay. And caught her bringing in groceries, stuff like that. Very ordinary. Remind me again when we've decided to confront her ourselves. Because you have trust issues. <laughs> Remember? 
Yeah, that's fair. Look at me. Have you changed your mind? No. No, we just need to knock on the door and hope she's home and then go from there. Okay, we've got this. Okay. All right, then. Let's do it. Okay. There's an automatic light. Okay. Okay. Mm. Endgame. know that it's been a long while, Margaret, but you must still recognize me. Did you think that I would never find out about your little call to the police? If what happened to me is any indication, you guys need to get on this now. They're going to find someone new, sell them another one of their fake stories, and then before you know it, everyone will be dead. Come on, Margaret. You've got to say something. I've even brought a microphone to record your reaction for my podcast. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that I have a podcast. Well, it's the reason why I've been able to find you after all these years. Uh, uh, I thought you were dead. Dead? Am I dead? And do I look dead to you? From where I'm standing, someone else is looking a little bit dead. Come now, Anne. Let's give our dear Margaret some respect. She looks... She looks... Uh, ugh. You sure aren't making this easy for me, are you, Margaret? What do you want? Oh, she does speak. Once more for the podcast, Margaret? What do you want? What I want is far too complicated to explain in one short sentence now, Margaret, but let me try and break it down for someone as simple-minded as you. First of all, I want revenge. On you. For making that teeny, tiny little phone call that ruined the absolute fuck out of my life, okay? So that means the destruction of everything you own making sure that you have a miserable life, and then, of course, slitting your throat open. And given the state of your house and the state of you, it looks like I've already achieved the first two. So that just leaves one thing left to do. Anne, knife, please. Thank you. Stay back, stay back. Stay back! Stay back! Stay back! Stay back! Please! I won't tell anyone you were here! Please! Please! Now you see, Margaret. That's what you don't seem to fucking understand. What part of me holding both a knife and a microphone up to you at the same time would imply that I want to keep this a fucking secret? Please, no, not to it. I know what you're thinking, Margaret. 
You're thinking that it's unfair for me to be blaming you for what happened. That our little game only began because of Teddy. That he's the one who's really to blame for all this. Right? <laughs> well, let me alleviate him of some of the blame. It was all me. Wrapped it all up to look like a tragic suicide. <sighs> I could tell he had too much information on us and had to go. Edward was starting to get sloppy. <laughs> That's right, Margaret. You pegged me immediately. <laughs> it's a shame nobody ever believed you. <laughs> oh, I could have retired. We did retire, didn't we, babe? Retired at 23. God damn. But, you know what the lonely thing is about being this good at what I do? Nobody figured it out. <laughs> I don't know if it was consciously or subconsciously, but there were these details, all these little clues that people could have put together, but nobody made the fucking effort to work it out. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to have your work be so unappreciated? Oh, it's like... It's like spending all of this time getting someone the perfect birthday present. Right? Buying all of the best wrapping paper and then even going to the effort of putting the neatest little bow on top. And then their birthday comes and it's just... It just sits there on the table, forgotten. Lost in a cold case file. A conspiracy theory on some loser's Reddit thread. Oh. Oh, Margaret. You know how to get me talking. Such a chatterbox you are. <laughs> anyway, I start putting this podcast together, right? This one right here. You see this microphone? Margaret, look at it. Look at it! There we go, that's it. You see it now, right? I start making this podcast to pull these pieces together. You know, let people know how inept the police are, that they couldn't make these very... Very simple connections. Maybe I'll release it and make some extra money. Become famous, you know? And then, what do you know? We get a call from a listener who knows you. You, a real, actual listener who has seen you pottering about in this lonely, miserable life. And wants to tell us you're around as a living source of information just in case we want to know. That makes me realise, I don't have a climax. You need an emotional climax for these kind of podcasts, you know? A message to take home from it that makes this entire story that you've just heard worthwhile. And people kept recommending it to people, and we got bigger and bigger and bigger, and every extra listener I was getting was another person who I owed a good story to. They deserved a bold ending. And I had nothing to give them. But then... <laughs> then I thought of an ending, Margaret. Do you know what it was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Our story began with Margaret Anjou. Our story ends with Margaret Anjou. Richard York was the daughter of the crime boss known only as Richard of York. In her fight to take her rightful place at the head of the family, she left a trail of destruction in her wake that was criminally and negligently discarded, ignored or missed by local authorities. By all accounts, she was cruel, unfeeling, motivated, greedy and violent. She's also the host of your favourite podcast. They're going to find someone new, sell them another one of their fake stories and then, before you know it, everyone will be dead. Now civil wounds are stopped, peace lives again. That she may long live here. God say, Amen. <laughs>